In this week's podcast, we get the opportunity to interview Denise Smith, a health sciences librarian at McMaster University and a sessional course instructor in the Bachelor of Health Sciences program. In this podcast, Denise shares the role of health sciences librarians, clinical librarians, and more in promoting health information literacy and conducting informative research within the health sciences. She discusses how librarians work with physicians, researchers, and other allied health professionals within the field of evidence-based research, and she discusses patient and student information education. Denise also shares advice for prospective healthcare students, which includes critically appraising the literature and data sources that students are exposed to. Hello, Denise. Would you be able to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them more a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Denise Smith. I am a librarian at McMaster University in the Health Sciences Library. I've been doing this job for about six years now, and I'm also a sessional instructor in the BHSC program, where I facilitate an inquiry section for third-year students called the Politics of Information. I have a master's degree in library and information science, which may come as a surprise. Librarians need a master's degree. <laughs> oh, and I live, I don't actually live in Hamilton, so I live in the Niagara region, and I have a little boy who's four. Thank you so much for sharing that. No problem. Um, so something that is important for students to know is that librarians are an integral part of multidisciplinary healthcare teams. Um, could you speak a little bit about the role that you have as a health sciences librarian within the field of evidence-based practice? How does the work you do aid in the promotion of quality patient care and scientific research? Yeah, so my role is really quite varied and i think it's really important to point out that the work i do that and that i can speak to specifically isn't necessarily the kind of work that all health librarians do we all have different areas of expertise and experience and we play to our strengths to optimize the output of the library's efforts so speaking for myself my role is pretty multifaceted I mostly support education and research at the university. So I would support educational programs by coming into classes and offering workshops or lectures about searching for information, how to engage with information, um, and how to assess information for credibility, reliability, or authority. So I really work on developing those skills. And my particular focus is usually in the undergraduate programs. And we have other librarians who focus on graduate levels programs. We have some librarians that focus specifically on the, the medicine, the School of Medicine. And we have other librarians that focus on the residents in the hospital and facilitating that level of education with the residents as well. Right now, like I guess for the last three years really, but this work is ongoing for the next couple of years, I've been working with two librarians where we actually develop information literacy curriculum that's directly embedded in the Bachelor of Health Sciences program. And this is like a really substantial amount of work, but it's also really unique because if you're familiar at all with having a librarian come to your classroom, you know that we just like walk in one lecture in September and we're like, hey, we're just going to show you how to search a database. And then by the time 
your assignment is due and you need to start working on it, you've pretty much forgotten everything that we've said. So what we're doing with the BHSC program is we're building like a scaffolded program where it's actually part of their curriculum. So it's called the Praxis Pathways course and they have to do it every year for throughout four years. And every year there's a thread of that course that's specifically about information literacy and we started in first year with like super basics of just like this is what a database is and this is why it's different from google and now in second year working on developing more complex searches because as they go into third year they're going to need the skills to start working on independent projects or literature reviews or systematic reviews and so we're really trying to set them up for success in that area as well I also do, this is like a lot. So <laughs> I also support research. So I mean like undergraduate research as well as like big R research. Um, so like the researchers um, in, in the faculty and in the hospital. We do one-to-one -one consultations with, uh, with pretty much anyone who asks for one with, and, that, and who are from our community. And we basically support their efforts in writing either like non-comprehensive literature reviews. So they're just, you know, they need to write a background for a study protocol. We can help them build their search strategy for a systematic review. We can work with them on that. And we can also, we also help in like grant proposals. So if you have students, uh, sorry, researchers writing, coming up with grant proposals, quite often they'll come to the library and ask for assistance with that. So that's like the scope of work that I do. I also supervise students. So I have like students who do independent research projects that are very like information heavy. I've had a couple students work with me on that. And my own like little pet project is focused on Wikipedia. So what's nice about librarians is that we have a certain degree of autonomy to manage the kind of work that we do. And Wikipedia is a passion of mine. And so I have, I work with students who come to me and say, hey, I'm really interested in learning to edit Wikipedia and, and build, build its health content. And so we will work together. We usually have like a meetup once a week for about an hour and a half. And we just get together and we try to improve like a set of articles over a set period of time by adding like high quality systematic reviews to the material. So I'm working, I'm currently working with two students on that and I may have a third coming on. And then we also are required to do our own research. So at McMaster, there's like a 75%, 25% split in our workload where that 25% is supposed to be dedicated to independent research or professional service. Um, so I do my own research. I've researched health information behavior in Wikipedia. I also did some like information literacy research and I also serve the library community by working on some like professional associations. So I, you know, help plan conferences and get, we get the health librarians from upstate New York and Ontario together once a year and I help organize that. So yeah, it's, it sounds like a lot, but we, we tend to have our hands in many pots and wear many hats. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Yeah, for sure. That's actually very impressive. I didn't know that librarians took on that many tasks and, and those are very useful tasks, especially for undergraduate students who are learning about information literacy and even for prospective healthcare students, it's important that they're able to appraise the literature that they read. And so I guess thank you so much for taking part in all of this and helping us students. Oh, no problem. Yeah. And you'll find that if you asked another librarian, even in my library, the same question, you'd 
get a completely different answer because they just, the work is so big. There's so much to do and we all have our little area of expertise. Yeah. So it, so it varies from librarian to librarian. Yeah. I see. Okay. So I guess that leads into our next question then. How do librarians in the health sciences work alongside physicians, allied healthcare professionals, and our researchers? Yeah, so there's actually um, a really important distinction to make here. So we, we, the librarians in our library are health sciences librarians, and we're academic librarians. So we do have a couple librarians in our library that support the clinical side of things. So that would be, you know, we get one or two librarians in our, we have one or two librarians who work in our library that are the specific contact person for practitioners and physicians who work for the hospitals in Hamilton Health Sciences, and they can say, hey, could you find me all of the literature about this, like X, all of these literature about X being treated with Y and like what the outcomes are of that. And so library, we have librarians who are able to just like run the searches in the databases and then just send all those articles off to the person that needs them. And we also have like hospital librarians, which we don't have one at McMaster because we have our health sciences library, but there's hospital librarians at like St. Joseph's and other Hamilton Health Sciences sites or at St. Joseph's sites. And they are a little bit different because generally there's usually only one librarian at the hospital. So their job is like everything. So they have to manage the budget. They have to like make sure the space is clean. They have to order materials, manage the collection while also answering these questions from physicians and healthcare practitioners about, you know, I'm a physiotherapist and I'm looking into this intervention for this person who has this, you know, injury can you find me everything you can? And, and I need it within 12 hours, or I need it in two hours. So they have all of that to manage. So it's a little bit different. If you look at a hospital librarian versus a health sciences librarian, we have a little bit more academic privileges as well, right? We have that research side, whereas hospitalists are very like focused on the library piece. So other things that like our librarians can do, or that librarians can do in a hospital setting is something called bedside searching. So they can actually search for patient materials as the patient is being, sorry, like not necessarily patient materials, but materials that are um, easy to read and understand for the patient. And so what will happen is sometimes the library will participate in rounds or they will go and be, this happens a lot in the States, they'll go and be in the room while a patient is receiving a diagnosis. And they, as the doctor is speaking to the patient, the librarian is there rapid searching for information. So that way, after this patient receives this news, there's a librarian there to say, okay, like, here's all of the information that we can find so that you can read about, so you can learn a little bit more about this. And, and you know that it's reliable because we're, we're looking for it for you. So that's one pretty cool way, one pretty cool thing that we do when we're working like alongside the physicians or the health professionals. Then we, we also support research projects as well. So from the residents. So there's a couple ways of doing that. We can, I've alluded to one already where we're like, we'll just help you build a search strategy. But quite often, there's usually a librarian on a systematic review team. So you'll know that there's a systematic review normally done by teams. And there's an expert and a statistician, maybe another expert to be a second reviewer, and then a librarian. And it would normally be the librarian's role then to actually sit, to come up with the search themselves based on the research question, and then go back and forth with the experts to make sure that they've been as inclusive as possible and made that search as sensitive as possible. 
Again, they, rep they also help with those grant proposals. And then one thing that librarians can do as well in terms of like producing evidence syntheses is something called a press review. So that's the peer review of electronic search strategies. And what they can do is have a systematic review team can send their search um, strategy and their research question to the librarian. And then there's like set criteria that the li librarian can review that, that search strategy against and then provide feedback. And it's usually another way to kind of confirm the strength of your literature search when you're writing a systematic review when you write up the manuscript you, you can indicate that it was peer-reviewed using these specific guidelines by a librarian in the health sciences it's a lot <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much uh, denise for going through the different roles that uh, hospital librarians have versus health science librarians there's quite a lot of things that i personally never realized or didn't know really. So we were wondering whether there were anything else that uh, health sciences librarians do behind the scenes that we may not see or realize other than what you've already mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot more. We do assessment. So we're constantly looking at things like our website and doing, we have a web services librarian who does like user experience testing. And so her expertise is in like UX research, as well as like universal design principles, how to meet the accessibility standards. She's really aware of that and branding. She's aware of our branding standards and, and communicates with the, the office. I think the branding standards office and like the media production office quite regularly. So especially right now, the face of our library is the library website, but even when during not like during a regular time, the face of the library is still the library website because that's, we use the library website to search the catalog and to access databases. And we have, a, we have one librarian that that's her job is to, to always keep that website going and up to date. It doesn't get, you know, put off to a third party. It's a librarian doing that work in addition to doing consults for research and things like that. We also manage like our library catalog. So that's our collection. So all of those eBooks, and print collections, all of the print books downstairs, those are all managed and maintained by librarians. Budget, we have librarians running budgets so that we know what we can afford and what we can't afford to buy. And we have a librarian, our collections librarian is like our supreme negotiator because she's the one that actually negotiates with these huge publishers um, and database providers that charges tens of thousands of dollars to give students access to information to published literature. And she's the one that negotiates that access and what's included in that access. And she has to do that every year. And that's usually involved in a, that's also part of the budget too, right? Because those fees go up and are generally increased year over year. So she has to negotiate those increases. And then if we are, if we do need to cut materials, it's up to her and our director and a couple other librarians will like, will meet together and decide which ones have to go simply because we don't have, have the funds to cover them. And then we also have librarians that focus on creating spaces that are inclusive to everybody at our, in our community. And this past year, I think maybe even two years, definitely this past year, we've been focusing a lot on self-education about decolonizing our library space, as well as our library services, and focusing on learning more about Indigenous health and problems and issues, conversations that are specific to Indigenous health and Indigenous communities. 
And then we also have an archivist whose role has been really crucial this year because she's been actually keeping records and saving records about how the pandemic has been influencing Hamilton Health Sciences, residents of Hamilton, um, and things like that. And so our archivist basically manages the archives. It's in the basement of our library, and it's the archives for Hamilton Health Sciences, McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences, but then also just ish things that are in the community, like the sanatorium that was up on the mountain and things like that. So there's a huge a huge range of things that we do that we you aren't necessarily seen on the surface. Absolutely. Um, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit blown away by everything that librarians do. So this is a really good learning experience. And I'm sure a lot of students will find new appreciation and have more knowledge of what <laughs> librarians do for sure. So you've alluded to systematic reviews and uh, how they and how uh, librarians can help patients with information literacy. So we'd like to ask you as an academic health sciences librarian, because you have this experience in research methods and systematic reviews, uh, could you speak a little bit about the importance of such research and its contribution to healthcare? Sure. So in terms of like information literacy and how it contributes to healthcare, I personally like to consider information literacy and then like these other concepts like digital literacy or health literacy, all falling under this umbrella concept of meta literacy, which is kind of an emerging conversation in librarianship, probably over the last few years now, but it's basically about like meta literacy kind of draws on how someone understands what they currently know about information data the digital world and how they develop their cognitive knowledge in order to engage with it so how do they understand it what do they how do they know what they don't know right how do they learn what they don't know and all of these literacies are kind of interwoven and impact one another so when we're looking at information literacy in healthcare what's really important is situation and context. So in, in academia, my role is to teach students information literacy and embed those skills within a curriculum or within a student. And then they will take those skills. And the idea is that they become, that those skills allow the student to become adaptive in the work environment. So they understand this basic principle of asking themselves, okay, I have a question and I need to answer that question or I need to help find and I need to find an answer to that question. And so the first thing they need to think about is what would help me find, like what would help me find the answer to that question? Do I need to go to government resources? Do I need to search RCTs? Do I need to look at an umbrella review or a systematic review? So they need to have that cognitive level of thinking about it first. And those are skills that they can take with them outside of academia. And then the actual skill of like searching a database is not that complicated as long as you understand like the broader concept of knowing what you need to answer your question and knowing where to go to find it and being able to identify useful information when you come across it. Once you understand that, the skill of actually typing terms into a database is not so it's not the most complicated part. It's actually quite simple once you get the hang of it. Um, it's more important that we embed these like critical questions into your brains, I guess, first. But then if we take that outside of academia and place it in this situation or context of someone who's just like a regular person may have not gone to university or did, but for like English, like I went for like philosophy. And then 
they suddenly get a diagnosis or their mom gets a diagnosis and they need to find information, their information literacy is going to be a lot different because they're going to take their understanding of information based on what they've learned from the world around them and from the experiences that they've had or the experiences of other. And they might not take with them all of this like cognitive academic thinking about information. They're just going to run a search in Google and they need to understand, okay, how can I assess the reliability of this information? Because a lot of times people aren't even thinking about that, right? So how can we get them to start thinking about that? And so that's also something that I would like to see carried over into the healthcare practice as students in the health sciences, you are going to be future health professionals. So I always think about like, okay, if I can embed this, these, this way of thinking and this frame of thinking into these students, when they go, out, go on into their careers, and say they become a, a physician, a primary care physician, they can have these conversations with their with their patients and say, okay, how are you, you know, okay, you've read about Alzheimer's disease. Like, what have you read? Where did you find that information? Why did you think that information was useful? These are questions that you can ask them because they may not be asking them of themselves. So it's kind of this like double-edged benefit, I suppose, yeah. So our next question is, we also know that another area of expertise of yours is information literacy. Could you speak about the importance of information literacy in our digital world? And you, you've touched upon this in terms of patient care, but if there's any other comments that you have or any thoughts you have on this. Yeah, I think it's super, especially now, like it's incredibly important because in the library world or library land, as I like to call it, like one the term that's being thrown around right now is infodemic like we have a global pandemic on our hands and we are being inundated with tons of misinformation and it's becoming more and more difficult to scrutinize that information and to decide what is real what is not real what is reliable and what is not reliable and this uh, this conversation has been going on about um like between me and my colleagues where we've been talking about the impact of a lack of literacy around the scientific process. So there's a science science literacy that the general public just does not have. Our schools do not teach us in elementary or high school what the scientific process looks like. And I'm not just talking about developing an experiment because we learn about, you know, generating a hypothesis and, and testing it and then just deciding whether or not that hypothesis has been supported or is nullified. That's like, that's just the, that's just like one tiny little piece of the puzzle. And what the public has never been exposed to until now is the iterative process of new discoveries in science. And what's happening is with these production of these vaccine, vaccines, or as we learn about how to, we could potentially treat the COVID-19 illness, or how we, we learn more about how it's spread, like the epidemiology. As we learn more, we're going back and changing what we said before, because what we said before was based on our best case, case based, on like, based on like previous evidence, right? The whole like, I can't recall specifically, but I believe it was the mask. Oh, no, no, it was the um, incubation period. They originally just designated a 14-day period of self-isolation because the SARS epidemic in Toronto that that coronavirus took like it incubated for up to 14 days and so they initiated that for COVID-19 but now nine months later they've learned okay we can actually reduce that incubation 
period because people are showing symptoms within seven days of infection. So you'll see, like you've seen news releases of, I think even the, um, like the U.S. like crossing over the border, there's a reduced quarantine period now uh, in some provinces. And so the public, what's happening is the public is all they see is that we're scientists are changing their minds, right? Or these public health experts are just changing their minds, but it's because they've never been exposed to this iterative process of discovery and decision-making in science. And so what that does when they're exposed to it for the first time is it just breeds distrust. And then we get even more misinformation and then people doubting the information, all any of it. And so when we're talking about like information literacy in care, I think it's also in healthcare, it's also equally important to be to be teaching the general public about what science looks like from beginning to end. Because and part of the solution to that is this open access movement that a lot of librarians support, where we want scientists to be uploading their data in real time. We want people reporting on results. Um, and findings as they're coming along rather than just hearing about it after five years of study in a, in a newspaper article, right? So again, that's another tangent, but I think that's a really important link to make, especially right now. Well, thank you, Denise, nope. for highlighting the importance of information literacy, especially nowadays and during this pandemic. So we're wondering, what are some things that students, but also that, like you said, the general public can do to improve our informational and digital literacy? How can we better evaluate the information that we encounter? I think it's really important to just learn about information, like explore what is information, who decides what information is authoritative or reliable and what factors actually influence those decisions so how can how can our own individual context or situation influence those decisions and and then as students i think it's really important that the students at university understand their privilege so as university students you all have access to all kinds of quality high quality information resources and not only that, access alone is not sufficient, right? You also have the skills to understand an RCT study, like a report in a published peer-reviewed article. You have the ability to interpret those findings. And those are skills that not everybody learns. Not everyone goes to university. And even, like I said, even amongst the people that do, they don't necessarily develop these skills because they're outside of their area of expertise. So I always like question myself in terms of what can I do right now to bring all those people that don't necessarily understand what information is, how it's worked, the, all the politics around publishing information and producing information around funding and how journals don't particularly enjoy publishing negative results, like all of that stuff that isn't commonly known. What can we do to bring those people to where we are if anything at all right and then the other thing i like to think about is or i i would probably advise is like based on what i just said like take the time to really learn about the politics around health information and how information even in general is produced and disseminated you know in university we take peer-reviewed journal articles for granted as reliable and authoritative we assume that if this article is peer-reviewed it must be okay but we've seen a solid history of retractions, right? So we know that bad 
studies get through the peer review process. It's not a perfect system. And the classic example is Andrew Wakefield's study linking that the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine to autism. That study was retracted. And yet it's still referred to and referenced like in, you know, Jenny McCarthy's <laughs> research. So the, and then like at the end of the day, we need to remember that I'm not saying like peer reviewed journals are bad or that, you know, randomized controlled trial studies, we should be ignored or this academic research is not, you know, not as, not as reliable as it should be. It's just that we need to come in aware that it's not perfect and that it has flaws. We know as librarians that academic journals, they're in the business of making money. Like that is their priority. You know, biases exist because they don't want anything that could potentially impact their bottom line. So that's why negative results, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, nobody really wants to hear how something doesn't work. No one really cares. or <laughs> That's not going to make money. So, but like physicians care, like they want to know if something's been tested and doesn't work because then they won't go and test it. Right. And then the other thing is like, learn in the same vein, learn about open access publishing models, learn about these alternative models of publication so that when you do do research and you are looking for literature, you can understand, okay, I'm going to look like in this, you know, this higher level stuff, these systematic reviews and peer reviewed journals, all, like on my evidence pyramid, I know what's, what's the best to look at and what's like the least reliable. But on top of that, I'm also going to look outside of these peer reviewed closed traditional journals, and I'm going to try to make an effort to include open access materials in my research. And that even includes things like journals that aren't necessarily indexed in the databases. So Wikipedia has its own med medical journal. It's called the Wiki Journal of Medicine. It's just recently been approved to be indexed in Scopus, but before then you have to like go and look at it and look at its publications like on your own. You can just like, it wouldn't be included in a database search. So um, get familiar with the journals that are open access that aren't necessarily included in databases that are relevant to what you're looking for. Because the, the message around the open access materials is that sometimes they're predatory and that's the case, but with the right skills, you should be able to identify what's a, what's a predatory journal and what's, and what's not. So that's probably the narrative you're most familiar with, but it's not definitely not always the case. And most of the time it isn't the case. So um, the other thing I just wanted to say, like backtrack a little bit, because I wanted to make a note about like how the library specifically can help with respect to like research a little bit more because I wanted to point out that our library, I learned this on Monday or Tuesday, our library has pulled over a thousand articles, most of them from the interlibrary loan system, which is a way for us to borrow from other libraries, like borrow items from other libraries that we don't personally have in our collection. They've pulled over a thousand for just articles related to supporting the COVID vaccine research being conducted at McMaster. So that's bananas. Like that's a lot of work uh, to be done. And then like, even though systematic reviews are high on the pyramid of evidence, I see horrible reviews published all the time based on the fact that their search was not good, right? Because they didn't consult with a librarian or they, they just thought they knew what they, do, they were doing. And that's the biggest mistake I see made is that a lot of health experts think they know how the databases work and they think they know that they can just do it on their own and it will be fine 
but it's our job to understand how databases work. And it's our job to understand how to manipulate those databases to get to optimize our search results and to balance, you know, sensitivity with specificity if it's a systematic review. And it's the health experts job to just know their field, right? To know, to know their area of expertise. And so I think it's really important to have a librarian review systematic searches so that when it comes to publication, you know, there isn't, it's very rare that a librarian would be one of the peer reviewers and then, and would actually take the time to like look at the search strategy. Right. Um, and so, you know, uh, an epidemiologist might be reviewing a paper and think, well, the methods look okay. And like, I don't really know enough. So I'll just like move on to the findings and see if they make sense, right? So it takes a librarian's eye to really make sure that the quality of the systematic review is, has the potential to get to where it should be. Because if it's, if the search is done poorly, that just has a domino effect on the quality of the findings, right? I think you brought forward a lot of great points and one of them includes the fact with the earlier discussion that students and healthcare professionals even we need to be able to critically appraise what we're reading online and even peer-reviewed journals so that's a very good takeaway I think especially for the students that will be listening to this and then mm -hmm. also the second portion of what you're talking about was more so I think interprofessional care and its importance so thank you for bringing that forward we can clearly see the importance of interdisciplinary teamwork with librarians and healthcare experts and even students. And then we have one last question for you. Sure. If you had any advice for prospective healthcare students, uh, what would it be? Uh, don't, like, don't write off the library as just a quiet place to study, right? A lot of people just, a lot of students just associate the library with study space, but we do so much more than that. And, and that's just one small piece. We're quite happy to have you in our space. That's fine. But think about, you know, the broader perspective, library workers, um, not just librarians, everyone in our library has a really set of specialized skills. Um, that are meant to help all students and all of our like community members along their journey and whatever it is they're doing, research or education. Um, we all have really important skills to offer. So if it's you know going to the reference desk where we have our we have our staff working there to answer any questions about searching database, we have people like getting can who can work magic behind that desk that I can't even do. So you know, every single person has something that they can do to help you. So don't just think of us as a study space. And also understand that health information is complicated and that your professors are not likely to be well-versed in the nuances the same way that librarians are, since that's our literally our job is to understand the nuances of health information and how it's produced. And, and you might, you know, several professors are likely to be familiar with it, but they don't have the same extent. They don't have knowledge to the same extent that we do, because this is our every day and it's not their every day, right? So, you know, to take advantage of the librarians and the library staff working we are there to help you through your education. It's not cheating to come to us to help get help with an assignment for your like doing a search strategy or whatever. And then like my own little like self serving plug is do not ever feel ashamed for using Wikipedia. 
I guess that does conclude the interview. That was very educational for us. And like, without a doubt, it's going to be very educational for a lot of students. So thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast.